Our scripture reading today is from Luke 1, and I'll be reading through verse 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee, named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, help us to listen to your word today. I pray that it will pierce our hearts, that the promises of the gospel will exhilarate us, they will help us to refocus our hopes, that they will help us to long for you and what you have for us. Give Andrew discernment as he brings your word to us today. And prepare us as we go throughout the week. In your name, amen. Seated. Thanks, Jerry. I knew even before I started the race that it would change me. I've done some hard things in my life, but I've never seen myself on the other side of that line. Running bad water was the only way I knew how to get the truth, how to ask questions I didn't know I had about myself. Are you ready to see your insides laid bare? Do you actually want to know who you are when it all falls down? Can you trust other people to hold you together mentally and physically when you have nothing else left? These are the words of Kelaine Conakin, who did run the Badwater Ultra Marathon. I've always been a little bit intrigued with this race. If you know about it, it starts down in Badwater, 284 feet uh, below sea level and ends at 8,000 feet above sea level on Mount McKinley uh, at the trailhead there. It's 135 miles 
in which you traverse uh, Death Valley uh, with all of the conditions, and, and it's, it's just a grueling race. People literally burn through their shoes uh, running on the asphalt. There are some people that uh, experience organ failure. doesn't sound very fun to me. Uh, in the process of, of running this race, uh, it is indeed a, a grueling, grueling race. Um, and you know, it'll ask the questions, right? Who am I when all is down? Can I rely on other people? People that run this have to have a team, you know, with a van and people that jump out and run with them. All sorts of questions. The reason why I bring this is not just my own sort of uh, dark fascination with the Badwater race, uh, but uh, it, so much of it and, you know, what she talks about with that could also be questions that we talk about with discipleship. Discipleship is a race. Uh, as we seek to follow Jesus, there is a bad water sense to it in which we start uh, at one area, we seek to ascend to another area, and in between is a whole lot of stuff that will test us, that will bring us face to face with questions that we didn't even know that we had about ourselves. And so there's a very real sense in which every Sunday we come together and we're asking these questions, where we're exploring this journey. But we really want to engage that this coming month, this Advent season, uh, and we want to do it through the eyes of Mary. Now, Advent is not Christmas. Uh, Advent is the anticipation of Christmas. It's the looking forward to it. It's the placing our eyes on the incarnate Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth. He is the answer. Mary's not the answer right? Jesus is the answer, and we want to be very clear about that throughout. Mary has always had sort of an interesting relationship, uh, especially for Protestants when it comes to the Scriptures. As you know, uh, our Catholic uh, brothers, sisters, friends uh, have elevated Mary to a very high place, uh, with regards to theology, um, perpetual virginity, her assumption, all of these various what I would call extra-biblical doctrines uh, that surround Mary, her role as a, as a uh, intercessor, almost as a co-redemptrix. Uh, there, there's some very high Mariology. We have tended sometimes on the Protestant side to go the other way and, you know, not look at Mary uh, and just sort of see her as very ordinary, which on the one hand she was, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. On the other hand, though, I think she's a great place to look as we talk about this, uh, this journey of discipleship. 
If you remember, our, our uh, arts and rec camp this summer actually took a look at Mary, uh, pondering the life of Jesus with Mary. Uh, numbers of people contributed to, to this project, to this book, to the teaching. Uh, kids, I'm sure that you will remember that. And uh, I just thought it would be a good time to go back, reinforce some of these ideas that you learned this summer, but then also uh, for those of us that weren't engaged in it or all of us in a different way to, to continue on this journey with Mary. Incidentally, if you don't have a copy of this, uh, there is one back there, or, you know, one per family type thing, but they're on the table in the, in the narthex. Really wonderful work, and, and I am very grateful to be the beneficiary, beneficiary of a lot of that work. But we want, to, we want to understand Jesus uh, and the advent, the incarnation, uh, through the eyes of Mary, uh, because her journey is certainly one of discipleship. We talk about bad water starting here, ending here. For Mary, her journey uh, began with a song in her heart, but it ended with a sword in her soul. The joy of holding a beautiful baby led ultimately to the foot of a cross. Uh, those are not my words, but somebody else's words. So what does that journey look like? Uh, I want to ask three things today or observe three, three things. One is just the humble beginning. Secondly are the honest questions that Mary has. And then finally, and, and really the focus for today is her wholehearted submission. Uh, Mary's faith is, is one of the things that stands out to us about this young girl. So who is she? Humble beginnings. Uh, she's an ordinary girl. Uh, you know, the scriptures tell us that she is a virgin. That doesn't necessarily uh, only isn't a descriptor of, descriptor of her sexual activity up until that point. It also identifies her as a, a young girl, a, a maiden, probably 12 to 13 years old. Most scholars will take that. She's marriageable age. So some of you can place yourself right there. You're in that 12 to 13, or maybe you feel like you're a young person, you're like, I'm 14 already. I'm, I'm older than she was at that point. That's, that's an incredible thing to think about uh, as we think about our own discipleship. Discipleship isn't only for when you're an adult. You know, discipleship isn't only for when you've got it all figured out. Anybody have it all figured out, by the way? Uh, discipleship it is for everyone. And it's interesting to think that God chose Mary uh, because he, he knew her heart. You know, even at this very tender age, uh, 11, 12, 13, God, God knew her heart. Uh, and it's something that I just think is incredibly encouraging for all of us. Uh, as we think about this world and, and where we live and we think about uh, the places we inhabit, we'll talk about that in just a minute, to know that God knows His people to such a degree that He would know this, this young girl, 
uh, who, who had a relationship with, with the Lord, with, confided with him. She was in Nazareth. Nazareth was, uh, was not a, a well-thought-of town. It wasn't a well-positioned town. It wasn't a seat of power in the society. Uh, it was just off of a major road, so maybe you'd stop there to get gas uh, if you were traveling somewhere. And you know how sketchy some of those places are that you stop and get gas. Uh, Nazareth was one of those places. You remember Philip uh, and Nathaniel when they met Jesus. Nathaniel, uh, an Israelite in whom there is no guile, he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And that was the prevailing uh, idea there. So not only do you have just an ordinary girl who incidentally probably, you know, just based on the culture of that day, could not even read. Uh, she, she wasn't able, the, the only thing that she was able to intake was what she got at the synagogue and uh, through her, her parents and her teaching. You know, those of you who are five, six years old, you can read. Uh, Mary probably couldn't even read. So here she is, this ordinary girl in a, in a very ordinary place, maybe even somewhat a despised place, uh, but, but God knew her. And that's one of the first things I think that we want to note about this journey is it doesn't matter who you are. And this, of course, is, is true throughout the Christmas story, you know, when the birth of Jesus is announced, it goes first to the shepherds. You know, when Jesus is resurrected from the grave, the most momentous thing that ever happened, it goes first to the women, those who couldn't even vote or talk in court at that particular time. God isn't interested in seats of power. God isn't interested in the amount of influence that you might have. God is very pleased to use the ordinary. Or as Francis Schaeffer says, there's no little people and there's no little places in God's kingdom. Everywhere matters. And I hope that that's an encouragement to you in terms of discipleship. Because I know it's difficult. You know, we seek to work this out and we ask those questions. Does God hear? Does God see? No little people. No little places. Just one other note here on these humble beginnings. You know, I, I love the fact that God finds Mary... I mean, God never lost her. He knew where she was the whole time. But he finds her in Nazareth. Uh, Nazareth, like I said, wasn't well thought of. Maybe it was, uh, you know, those gas station towns. Uh, maybe it was a little bit dirty. Maybe it was, uh, you know, just kind of a, a backwater type place. But there's beauty there. There's beauty there in the soul of Mary. And I love to think about that. Uh, how in the midst of darkness, in the midst of, um, you know, a place where it's not all put together, where it's not very well thought of, the reputation isn't great, God can find beauty. It reminds me of the words of Tolkien, 
as he gives them to the elf Haldir in Lothlorien. When the travelers come to that beautiful world, uh, a beautiful wood, uh, Haldir says to them, you know, uh, the world is indeed full of peril and, uh, is over, uh, and in it there are many dark places, but still there is much that is fair. And though in all lands love is now mingled with grief, it grows perhaps the greater. It's just such a beautiful picture. You know, Tolkien was writing in World War II, uh, and he, he's seeing a lot of darkness and ugliness in the world. But he said, don't close your eyes to the beauty that is still there. There, there is much that is fair, and though love is mingled with grief, though you know, dark, though light is mingled with darkness, though hope is mingled with fear, uh, the the beauty shines all that much more greatly. And again, I think this is great encouragement for us as we think about discipleship. We think about our own places, and we we think about the light that burns in our own heart. We think about the light that burns in the heart of each and every person. Though there is darkness, and we know there is darkness, uh, there is still light. There is still much that is beautiful, much that is fair. So, Mary begins in a very humble way. It's one of the things that we'll see uh, as we look a little deeper at her song, the Magnificat, next week, uh, how God is pleased to exalt the humble. The second thing I want you to note, though, about Mary's journey is that it is filled with honest questions. Uh, There are a couple of ways in which we see this. You look at verse 29. It says, she was greatly troubled. When, uh, when Gabriel came to her, the Scripture says she was greatly troubled. Maybe an understatement. Uh, you know, if an angel comes to you in the course of doing your everyday work, and we're not given information of, of what Gabriel's sort of appearance was at that particular time, but we know other places in the Scriptures when people encountered angels, like they were, you know, tempted to worship them. They were so overcome with this being. Uh, she certainly knew it was an angel, and it says she was greatly troubled, uh, and she t- tried to discern what manner of greeting that it would be. Incidentally, verse 28, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. This is where we get the Hail Mary, full of grace. It's actually not a great translation of the original. It comes from the Vulgate, uh, but uh, this is probably a little bit better uh, translation uh, of that particular saying. Mary is greatly troubled, and, and the text says that she tries to discern. Uh, she wonders, if you have, uh, I think the NIV has that particular translation, she wonders you know, what is going on? It's an interesting word there. Uh, Try to discern wonders. Uh, dia legizomai is the, uh, is the Greek sort of overarching phrase. Uh, it means to like reason through. You know, legizomai, logic, 
Uh, you can see that dia is through. So to think your way through, it's in, you know, as Mary is approached by this angel, uh, she doesn't just go numb. You know, her mind starts racing, uh, asking the questions like, "What is happening? How do I understand this?" And, and as the the angel lays out the promise to her, you can just see her mind clicking through the various questions. The angel says to her, do not be afraid. You found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb, bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, which of course was a very common name at that particular time, uh, but it was also the promise name. That was one of the reasons why it was common that the, you know, Jesus, Yeshua, uh, the Savior, God saves, uh, that he would be the one. And then the angel goes on to say he will be the one. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So here the angel indeed says, you know, from a redemptive historical standpoint, remember what God said way back in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that there would be born of a woman, one that would crush the serpent's head. This is the fulfillment. Born of you, Mary, uh, you will be the one to bring this child into the world. And this is all of our hope. Again, I want to emphasize, our, our hope is not in Mary. Uh, the, the goal of, of our looking over the course of the next several weeks is not to find in Mary a model solely that we can follow. Our, our goal is to see Jesus as Mary did. Our, our goal is to recognize and to understand that in Him and Him alone is our hope. There is nothing else in the course of history, there is nothing else in your present life that can bring you hope. And this is what Mary was furiously thinking about as she was pondering these words of the angel. It's interesting, we do get a picture of Mary throughout the scriptures. She's a thinker. Uh, we see it here, we see it you know, later on, Luke chapter 2, verse 19, Mary pondered all of these things uh, and, and wondered about them in her heart. We see it in John chapter 2, her interaction with Jesus at Canaan, uh, where she questions Jesus about turning the water into wine. Jesus asks, answers her, you know, my hour hasn't come. She thinks about it, uh, you know, do whatever he tells you. We, we get a, a real picture of a young woman who is willing to believe, as we're going to see in a minute, but also to think and, and to, to reason her way through some of the questions that she has. And she has questions. I mean, there are all sorts of questions that must have assaulted her at this particular moment, and we know that she's aware of. We know that she's aware, for instance, of societal questions. Like, I, you know, how can this be since I've not known a man? You know, like, 
how can this be the one if I show up with a baby now? Like that is going to bring all kinds of questions to play. In that day and age, that, you know, it just wasn't easily overlooked. Uh, there were aspersions, there were doubts, there was ostracization, there was all sorts of things that would come into a person's life if you brought a baby into the world and there was no known father. It was outside of the, the confines of the traditional family in those days. And Mary recognized this. She recognized that, that this was going to be a difficult road. This was going to be a difficult road for her. It was going to be a difficult road for Joseph. It was going to be a difficult road for Jesus. And indeed, we, we know that Jesus' reputation was assailed in this way. As for Abraham, we, we know, or, or Moses, we know who his father is, but you know, the, the implication is we don't know who your father is, the Pharisees say in John chapter 8. And, and these questions would be in her mind, like, how, how can this be since I haven't known a man? She says, hey, what, what kind of plan is this? Like, have you ever wondered about that? You know, God is inviting you on a journey of faith and the journey of faith, ideologically, is something that really swims against the grain of today's ideological acceptance. And we ask ourselves these questions. I mean, we must wrestle with, like, what kind of faith is it? You know, what are you asking me to believe? Because not only are there societal questions, but there are also scientific questions. Uh, you know, how can this be... Since I am a virgin, I haven't known a man, like, there seems to be some, you know, really tricky things society-wise with this plan, but biologically, like, I'm only 12 years old, but I know, <laughs> I, I know, and how can this be? She asks those questions scientifically, and I know that those are things, uh, questions that many of us struggle with. Uh, as we think about science, uh, as we think about you know, the origins of the world, as we think about the reality of miracles, as we come every Christmas to this miracle of the incarnation where, where God becomes man, uh, you've got deity, humanity, you've got Mary not knowing a, a man, a virgin birth, conception. You know, there, there are a lot of questions that we have scientifically. And, and Mary wrestles with this. How, how can this be since I haven't known a man? How, how is this a good plan? How is this even a possible plan for her? It's interesting is that, you know, Mo Mary and John, uh, or I'm sorry, Zechariah, both ask a very uh, similar question. In verse 18, Zechariah, the old man, the old priest, Luke chapter 1, verse 18, when the angel comes to him and tells him that they are going to have a baby, he and his wife Elizabeth, uh, he says, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And, and what's interesting is that 
Zechariah is condemned for asking that question. You know, he is given silence till John is born. Mary is not. And, and so you look at that and say, well, what's, what's the difference between these two questions? And I don't know that I have the full answer for these things, but two things, you know, one, you know, Zechariah is very focused on himself. How can I know this? You know, his, his presumption is that he can know. Uh, his presumption is, is that he should be, this should be clear to him. Uh, Mary's question is very different. She doesn't ask it from a cynical standpoint, but she asks it with, you know, how will this be? It doesn't necessarily mean that she doesn't believe it. She's just saying, God, how are you going to do this? Because I haven't known a man. And that's one of the things that I think about, you know, this idea of honest questions. God knows your heart, and He's not afraid of your questions. You, you can ask your questions. Now, if you're asking your questions to prove God wrong, you know, again, He's not afraid of those questions. He can, ask, he can answer those questions, but it's not the kind of heart uh, that God recognizes when He recognizes Mary's heart. Mary's heart is one that says, I don't understand, but I'm willing to put myself here in the place of belief. And maybe some of you have those questions. Maybe you have questions scientifically about miracles. Uh, you know, how, how is this going to happen? I, 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 you know, our, I, the ideology of this day and age is so much so to trust science, at, at least when science speaks in our favor. Uh, we, we, we want to trust science. And I, I am not anti-science whatsoever. I, I think God has given us minds and He wants us to understand His world, general revelation. So we should never pit Christianity against science. But what we, we need to do is, is like Mary, is we need to say, I don't know if I can explain exactly all the ins and outs of this. I don't know if I can answer this question, how can this be, since I have not known a man. But I trust the one who made science. I trust the one who is in control of all things. And indeed, that's what the angel comes back and says to Mary, nothing is impossible with God. You know, you, you may think you have all of the data that you need. But God stands outside of that as the creator of all of that data, and he can work with it in, in whatever way that he wants to. Uh, he can supersede it as he has done uh, in the incarnation, in the resurrection. You know, these are, these are doctrines that, that we base our entire being on. The incarnation, not because of it itself, but because of what it leads to. I mean, we would never know redemption if Jesus hadn't come into that womb. We would never know the forgiveness of sins if Jesus hadn't become fully God and fully man. Uh, and so we, we come here, and we don't suspend our belief in science but we suspend our belief in what we know. And we say, God, I am your servant. 
And this is the third thing that we see here with Mary. We see this wholehearted submission. And when we talk about discipleship, verse eight or verse uh, thirty-eight um, is is such such a key verse. Mary said, "Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word." And the angel departed from her couple of observations uh, here, and, and this is really you know, what I would love for you to think about uh, today, this week, as we anticipate celebrating the birth of Jesus. Like, do we, uh, can we see ourselves in the shoes of this little 12 to 13-year-old girl? You know, do, do we have uh, a, a heart of faith uh, like this little girl. And she's not innocent, right? She's a sinner just like all of us are. Uh, she's not perfect. We see that over the course of her life, all different things. She doesn't have complete understanding, but she knows who she belongs to. Behold, I, I am the doule, the bondservant, the handmaiden of the Lord. She recognizes that, you know, what we know in that first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism, that our life is not our own, but we belong, body and soul, life and in death, in our reasoning, in our doubts, in all of these things that make up who we are. We belong to the Lord. Behold, I am the Lord's. And this is where faith starts. And this is also, incidentally, faith's struggle. Because faith's struggle is, I am mine. I own my choices. I own my knowledge. I own what I own. And you cannot take it from me. But the journey of faith, you know, sort of the point of origin, the bad water uh, of our race is right here. Behold, look, I am the bondservant of my Lord. I belong to Him. He, he made me. And, and so I am going to start from there, and then I'm going to allow things to go forward. Have you said that? Or are you still holding on to everything that goes along with that, you know, with the opposite of holding on to yourself as the captain of your soul, you know, the master of your fates. Behold, I am the bondservant of the Lord. And then she really takes her hand off the wheel. You know, all of those questions, you know, the scientific questions, the sociological questions, we, we see Mary uh, jumping into the stream, as it were, and letting it carry her where it will go. I have a friend, this is not my original wedding ring. Uh, my original, original wedding ring is somewhere in the New River. Uh, I was whitewater rafting, got, I mean, my hand was cold, caught it on some youth group kid's helmet, and my original wedding ring is somewhere at the bottom of that river. Uh, so this is a replacement. One of my friends loved that rafting trip so much that he decided every year 
that he would go back to the New River in the springtime, uh, right when they release the dam that's above there. So the waters uh, and the rapids, which are normally class two, class three rapids, all become class four and class five rapids. And it's, it's quite a ride as you go down the New River. When we think about like our life of discipleship, uh, so many of us aren't even in the river. You know, we're, we're in the sides. We're sort of paddling in the eddies, uh, staying out of the current because we're afraid of where that current might take us. But what we see Mary doing is jumping headfirst, feet first, into not just the class twos and threes, but she is jumping feet first into the newly released water, and she is allowing it to take it, take her where it will. Societal implications, they're going to be there. You know, scientific miracles, they're going to be there. And she's going to have to deal with those things. She's going to have to wrestle with them. She's going to have to explain them. But she knows, she knows there is no joy in paddling in the eddies. There is no safety in staying out of the current. The only place to be is in the center of that current of God's plan and allowing it to take you where it's going to take you. So I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what areas you're holding back in terms of faith. Uh, you know, we talked about it. Some of it may be ideologically. You know, scientifically, I, I just can't get there. You know, I, I am holding on to what I know. I'm letting what I know uh, and what I can understand, I'm letting that determine, you know, my journey of faith. Uh, some of you may be holding back sort of financially, like this is my security, this is my trust. Like, I'll, I'll give 8%, I'll give 12% because I can manage that. But, but if I jump in and I give 90%, I'm not positive that God can take care of me at that point. But the invitation is to jump in, to get in the flow, to allow it to take us. You know, the conversations that you're holding back, like, I can't talk to this person in this way because I don't know what it will do to our relationship, even though I'm holding back from them the most important thing that they may ever hear in their life. Do we trust God to jump into the river? Behold, I, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me. As you have said, it's interesting, you know, Mary's response there is that active passivity that we often talk about. She says, behold, let it be to me according to your word. Uh, is she active in her faith? Well, yeah, she's, she's putting herself in that place. But is she the one that then ultimately does the work? No, it's God that does the work in her. You know, it's God that, that works through her. And that is just such a perfect description of our faith. It's a wholehearted surrender to the Lord. Here is how Kelaine Conakin talks about 
her race. She says, it was like I experienced the entirety of human emotion all at once. Love and pain, terror and triumph, anger and affection, humble but invincible, close to dead but never more alive. I've always been a little bit terrified of letting go because it's scary to think of what might happen. I had to get comfortable being completely exposed to my crew, to the elements, to the possibility of failure. Badwater showed me that it's not toughness or effort that sets me apart or defines me, but rather it's my willingness to step into the arena and risk it all. My vulnerability is my superpower. I have no idea where she is on her journey of faith, but I think that there is some real wisdom there with regards to our own journey of discipleship. Our vulnerability is our superpower. Behold, let it be to me according to your word. How can this be? Since I am a virgin, I don't understand, Lord. I don't have all the answers, but I'm willing to trust you because I am your servant. I am under you. And you have proven yourself to be gracious You've proven yourself to be good. We can look throughout all history and and we see the winsomeness of the Christian faith if we have eyes to see. Our prayer this morning is that God would give us all eyes to see the beauty of the promise that is Jesus and the ability to say, behold, I am your servant. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for where it meets us. It meets us in all of these places of vulnerability. It meets us in the place of surrender, of submission. It meets us where we really don't want to be met. We want to hang on. We want to hang on to our control, to our security, to our status. We don't want to give these things away. But Father, this journey invites us uh, that to give it away is to gain it all. To hold on to it is to lose everything. So Father, we pray that you would meet us uh, along the uh, steps of this journey. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.